Good morning. Our scriptures this morning are from Matthew 11, 2 through 6. And if you're in the Shed Bible, that's page 899. Then we're going to flip to page 945 for Luke 1, 46 to 55. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleaned, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In Luke 1, 46, 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped the servant Israel, remembering to be merciful, to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. My name is Tim, if we haven't had a chance to meet, and I have the honor of being one of the pastors here. I also have the honor, when the weather gets cold, of spending a lot more time inside with my children. And recently, there's three of them, they have been uh, doing plays and shows, which is amazing. I love their creativity. And they take on various characters from, from different TV shows or stories or books, and they put on these productions for the neighborhood. It's, it's really beautiful. And their interpretation of these characters is sometimes really humorous. And I think it, it reminds me, though, too, that there is part of me that wants to get into character. And we all take on a particular Christmas character, I think. The question is, which one? So, maybe you, around Christmas time, you're all fun and games, singing loud for all to hear. And maybe, though, underneath it, you're wondering what family might look like, right? Or you could be like America's first family of Christmas, Clark and Ellen Griswold, who are creating the ultimate Christmas experience, trying to wrap in everyone and create the best perfect Christmas. Or maybe you're just here for the free drinks. Every family's got an Eddie. I've been it at times. Uh, or maybe uh, this whole joy to the world thing is not your jam. And for some really good, maybe profound and personal reasons, there's a lot of pain associated beneath this that comes out in different ways around the holidays. 
Or maybe you're just excited to be home, maybe alone. Or you're someone whose journey is taking much longer than expected this season. Because we all have a character to which we relate and a part that we play. And maybe if you're really into Christmas, you could be trying to save all of humanity from evil like John McClane, the true Christmas hero. Anyway, but we all have these characters. And particularly in this Advent season, it's helpful to relate to a couple of them. And our text today offers to us two of them. As we, we hold and encounter texts that churches all around the world are reading through the lectionary, and it's this beautiful way of saying, where does this grand story from Old Testament to New Testament to the letters to the Psalms, where does this story fit together? And we get some really cool points of reference to find ourselves in today, particularly two characters. We have Mary and John, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and John the baptizer, cousin of Christ. Two characters that are part of this Advent or this Christmas story and play indispensable roles. Two people like you and I who are human and hopeful and humble and play are key players in the story that Christ is writing and redeeming. Two people who have encounters with the living God and decide how to respond to God. This encounter and response motif is one of the profound, predictable patterns that permeates Scripture through and through, where God speaks or acts or saves or calls or sends, and people respond. Call and response. In fact, this is the the divine dialogue that gathers us in this place, and we base around it our Sunday worship. God speaking and us responding. God acting and us acting accordingly in light of God's action. The key question here is not if we respond, but how we respond. Because all things in light of God's action are a response. And these two characters, Mary and John, have particularly interesting responses to God's action. So let's take a look at the texts. First, let's look at John. John the Baptist, John the Baptizer for those non-denom folks. And he is the one, the prophet, the one, the voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, cousin of Jesus, who is out there saying the Messiah is coming. But in this text, we see him in Matthew chapter 11 as the one who is in prison. And the text tells us he heard the deeds of the Messiah. He heard what Jesus was doing. And he sends his followers to question Jesus. So what was Jesus doing? He was healing. Just before this text in Matthew, he heals the centurion's servant. And then, just before, he heals the synagogue leader's daughter. And John, who's in prison, sends his disciples to confront Jesus. And he says this. In the text, it sounds so benign. But it says, are are you the one who is to come? Are we going to wait for another? John, the one who 
knows Jesus is the Messiah, it now finds himself in a dark place, wondering, is this, are you the one? Because the way you're acting, Jesus, the gospel you're enacting doesn't line up with what I hoped. This isn't like what we talked about at the river a couple years ago. The things you're doing are different. You're healing people that I wouldn't heal. The things you're doing are including more people than I would have. And so John publicly confronts his cousin, the rabbi, saying, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Or we need to wait for another? Asking question of suspicion rather than curiosity. Saying, Jesus, the way this is shaping out, it's not what I thought. You see, John was most likely part of the Essene community, a community of very, very devout religious Jews who often lived away from the cities so that they could practice and pray in, uh, very devoutly. You may have heard of the Qumran community. Maybe some of you have been there. That would have been an Essene community. And John was part of this most likely. And so he has his own disciples who are watching and waiting for the Messiah and practicing uh, in their, their purity laws out away from the city. And part of the thing that came with that was a view of how things would be when the Messiah would come. It would be their eschatology. They're looking to when Christ would come. And the way that John and his followers, we know from history, most likely thought that when, when the Messiah would come, things would change very quickly. That we would go from the, the age now to the age to come almost right away. And the kingdom would burst forth on the scene fully realized. But what Jesus is doing, we see an overlap of this time and the time to come. Where, where like a Venn diagram, there's this space between that Jesus is moving into. This already and not yet where the kingdom is bursting forth and the healing is happening. And Jesus is present, but it isn't fully realized. And so John is really troubled. Because what he thinks this should look like, what he thinks Jesus should be doing, Jesus is not doing. And he hates waiting, and his picture of what needs to be and what God should be doing is not lining up. And maybe you are in that place as well. Where what you see in front of you is not what you thought it would be like in the journey of following Jesus. The timelines aren't meshing. So John questions Jesus. He is suspicious of what God is doing. Are you the one? Or should I really wait for another Messiah? He responds with suspicion. And on the other hand, we have Mary. Mary who gets word of this Christ child that's to be born in her. The Savior of the world, and her response seems to be very different to her God encounter. Presumably, when, when she hears of this, she bursts into song. Our text today in, in Luke is the Magnificat. My soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. It praises God, my Savior. Who am I that he is mindful of me? And she goes on and on. It's one of the most beautiful, beautiful texts in all of Scripture. All generations will call me blessed. God speaks and Mary responds with surrender, not suspicion. She surrenders her will and her body and her life to the work of God, even though it didn't seem like it was lining up with her expectations. 
And so on the surface, friends, we have two different stories. When read parallel to one another, it is if the text is shouting to us, will we be people who respond to the work of God with suspicion or with surrender? Will we be those who say, this isn't looking like it should, so it's my way or the highway? Or are we those who say, this doesn't look like I thought, but my soul rejoices in God, my Savior, and I surrender my life and my future to you? Suspicion or surrender. Now, if this was the end of the sermon, we got here mighty quick, even for me. But these characters, as scripture does, are deeper and have more context and texture than just these surfacey things. Now, suspicion or surrender is the question I want us to sit with, but how did they get here and where do they go from here is more telling and I think connects with our story more than just a simple this or that. So let's rewind and look a little deeper at John. John, what happens in this story? Well, Jesus speaks again. Notice the text that was read starts with John speaking to John's disciples. John's disciples go to Jesus and say, are you the one? Or should we wait for another? And God and God's grace speaks again. Does not leave John isolated or wondering, but continues on. And he says, go and tell John. Ask him, tell him what you hear and what you see. So go back to John. Tell him what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk and those who have leprosy have been cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. And so John's story of suspicion does not stop there. God speaks again and pursues and encounters John so that his disciples go back and meet him in prison and presumably John comes back to a realization of surrendering to God because he doesn't get out of prison. John dies there. He's beheaded. I don't know what would have happened, but I would imagine we'd hear about it if John says, you know what, there must be a different Messiah to come. He's not the one. Let me free because I'm not going to follow him. But instead, Jesus speaks to John. John's disciples help him discern the truth in a moment when he is suspicious and downtrodden and doubting. His friends come back and give witness and testimony to the goodness of God and saying, the lame are walking, the blind are seeing. Remember, John, who you are and who you are following. His friends help him out of a dark place. His friends move him from suspicion to surrender. Even unto death, John is reminded by his friends, by word of the Lord, that God is good and he resurrenders his life. In fact, this, this text that is, that is quoted, that Jesus quotes back to his disciples, to John's disciples, the lame walk, the dead are raised. It, it reminds us of one of our other texts for today, which is Isaiah chapter 35, this beautiful prophetic vision where the desert 
shall blossom and rejoice. The strength will come to the weak hands and God will make firm the feeble knees and the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped and the lame shall leap like the deer and the world will spring forth in joy. God is doing something. God is speaking this into existence. And John hears it, is reminded, and moves into a place of surrender because of his friends. He couldn't do it on his own. We need one another. And lest Mary be on, left on a pedestal fully, she's far more human than I think we give her credit for because she actually doesn't get to this place of singing the Magnificat right away. We ask this question, Mary, did you know? Yes, she did. Yes, she did know that her baby boy would be all of these things. If we look back in the text, and this will be on the screen, rewind a little bit from our teaching text today, back to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, 27, and the angel went to her this is the angel Gabriel and says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And remember Mary who responds in surrender. Here, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this must be to this poor young woman who's engaged to, and has a life planned out for her. And then God says, we're going to do this other thing. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus and he will be great and will be called son of the most high. And so she responds, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. This sounds really faithful, and I think it is. And I would imagine that this is the most that Mary can muster as her life's plan suddenly takes a hard left turn. The one who is engaged to be married is now worrying about how I'm going to be pregnant, I'm going to be unmarried, am I going to get stoned, is this baby going to live, is this really a dream, what's actually going on? Everything is in chaos for her, and all she can get out is let it be to me as you have said. Faithful, but very different from the surrendered song of my soul magnifies the Lord a couple verses later. So how do we get from terrified Mary who's taking a feeble, faithful step to the Magnificat, this beautiful song? Again, like John, she does not do it alone. Soon after this, we see that at that time, Mary got ready and hurried down to the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin. Now, Elizabeth has something going on too, right? She is the mother of John. And the stories come together again. And what happens here is so profound. Presumably, there's no communication between them. But when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. 
I would imagine Mary is coming, so she hurried, panicked, crying, going to her cousin for support because her whole life's vision is falling apart. This is not looking like she had planned. And she gets there. The Spirit of the Lord speaks into existence joy within Elizabeth, and her cousin speaks to her the good news, reminds her of the reality of who God is, who Mary is, and whose she is. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. And it is only after this point, when her friend, her family reminds her of who she is and who God is, that she is able to come forth to our teaching text and say, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She is able to sing a song of surrender because of the support of her cousin. And so the question is to us, not just will we be people who surrender or are suspicious, but who is helping us discern and see God's will along the way? In Advent, we get this time of preparation, of waiting, of waking up to what God is doing in the world, but who among us would claim to see God's will perfectly and clearly? If you're like me, I'm far more suspicious of what I see, even good things, than I am surrendered to what God might be doing. Now, we're not meant to be blown by the wind and jump on any bandwagon that comes, but my baseline, even as a pastor who professes hope, often is suspicion. What are they selling? Who's gonna hurt me? Where's the catch? When is this church gonna turn on me? When, is, when are things gonna take a hard left turn? When are my expectations gonna be shattered? And it makes me a highly suspicious person and I would imagine that you have a decent dose of that inside of you too. And so who is it in your life who is following God alongside of you who helps speak the truth into existence in your life, helps you discern and see the will of God? As a simple practice, I would invite you to call or write that person today and say thank you. Not only to say thank you and encourage them, but to name the reality of that relationship. So often, I miss chances to do that, to tell people that they really matter, to tell them that I, I, I need you to follow Jesus, I can't do it alone. And so while it's not a high and holy and historical practice, I would invite you to call or text or write that person and say, I need you and your encouragement in following Jesus. And some of you will probably get messages today too and know that you are that person for somebody else. And that, my friends, is how we see community woven into the good news of Jesus because we cannot do this alone. We do not surrender to God's will individually, but together. And so the question to us from this text still is, are we people? who when God speaks and encounters us directly through others, through song, through reading, through text, through situation, through the, the words of a child, will we be those who surrender to God's will as we discern it together? Or will we remain suspicious?
The scripture is full of those who remain suspicious as well. And they find themselves outside the party. God in God's mercy continues to speak, continues to invite, but I would like to be part of a people who parties early. Maybe you would be too. I start picking at the Christmas ham in the morning. Let's party early. Let us surrender together as soon as we can, as we discern God's will together. And so during this Advent season, the choice is ours to be those who discern together, encourage one another into the will of God and say yes and surrender our life, our body, our plans, our hopes, and our expectations to the living God. And in doing so, we find ourselves part of the gospel story that's being written and presented to us in Isaiah. Part of the vision where where the desert shall bloom and cry out in song, where those weak hands will be strengthened and the stiff knees will bend again and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped and there will be a highway, the text says, a highway of our Lord and not even fools will go astray from God's highway, says the prophet Isaiah. I am thankful because I'll fall off the highway pretty quick. And on this highway, there will be no lion or ravenous beast to hurt the travelers. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. And everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. And they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing will flee away. As we surrender ourselves to the work of the living God. And God does not ask us to do anything God has not done first. Philippians 1 tells us that it is Christ who could have held on to all power and glory and godness, but instead surrenders God's self even unto death. God goes first and gives God's life for us in surrender. And so let us follow that Lord into death and into resurrection. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're so grateful that you have gone first and you invite us and speak again. And so we give thanks to you at all times and in all places. For you are creator, God almighty. And we praise you joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who gather around your throne and forever sing this hymn to the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord. Blessed are you, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so Holy Spirit, would you do your work in us and through us and upon this meal that we are about to partake? Would you do for us what we cannot do for ourselves? Would you make this bread and this cup the communion of the body of Christ that as it has been gathered and made from many places, would you bring us together as one people? 
who encourage one another, who help one another discern what is your will. And so Spirit, fill us with this meal as well. And we surrender ourselves to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. And it was Jesus who after a life of extending the invitation, extends yet another one as he gathers his disciples around the table. And he takes the bread and Jesus breaks it. He says, this is my body broken for you and for for the forgiveness of sin. Then after they were done eating, Jesus takes the cup and he pours it. He says, this is the new covenant, this is the new promise in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink of it together in remembrance of me. And so friends, we do. We come to the table in which we have been invited and will be invited again because God speaks and we respond. So come to the table where we rehearse the story of surrender together, the giving of life so that life may happen. We have tables around this room with allergen-free elements. We have a chance uh, to pray together. If you'd like to put a prayer in the wall, we, as a staff, would love to pray with you. John's in the back would be happy to pray for you, alongside you, and with you as we together move towards God who is inviting us to dine in surrender together. And we rehearse the story the mystery of our faith, which is in these three parts, we say it together, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So come and take and eat and be filled, for all things are now ready. Receive who you are, church, the body of Christ.